Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello and welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. I'm Michelle Beck. I'm a two-time 10-year survivor of breast cancer. I'm the patient programs assistant at Breast Friends of Oregon. And when I have time, I write at a blog and you can find me on social media at I Never Liked Pink. So today it's a different kind of an episode because we are going to talk about how to process grief. And it's something that doesn't get talked about enough because it's a hard subject. But my guest today, Helen Condon, she has founded her own organization and program called Grief Relief Support. And Helen really knows about this. She lost two of her adult children to cancer. And I'm sure all of you out there are doing the big gasp, like, oh my gosh, how do you cope with that? And how do you move forward? Well, Helen is going to tell us how she did it and give us some steps and talk about her program that she she offers that is available to everyone who's gone through this. And it's so important. So Helen uses her empathy and teaching skills to help other grieving parents process the pain that comes with this intense loss. She has been posting her thoughts and visions on Patreon for almost three years now and has a website which is currently being refined to reach out to all of those who've been affected with this. And her goal is to help over a million people to learn how to change the burden of grief into a light that they can carry to know that they don't have to stay lost in that pain and that grief from loss is unavoidable but the suffering that comes with it is optional. And that that just gave me chills right there because so much of what we do is a mindset. And she's going to tell us how she worked through this process. And the final step in that is there's a way to honor both our loved ones and find peace within ourselves. So Helen, thank you so much for being here today. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, Never done a podcast before, but I plan to do many more in the future. So this is a very good start. I love breast trends. I love what you're doing. It's amazing. Thank Perfect. You. Well, thank you so much. I'm thrilled that I am your your first podcast. So I, I feel very honored. Thank you. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself personally. We'll get into all the all the grief and the why and the how and the cancer later. Sure. Well, in case you can't tell before we've gone much further, I wasn't born in the United States. <laughs> I was born in England and then moved to Australia and New Zealand. I've been in America over half my life and 22 years in Central Oregon. Um, I have five, as we said, five adult children plus two wonderful stepchildren, uh, eight grandchildren. And um, I don't know if there'll be many more of those, but I guess we'll have to wait for the great greats. That's scary. I think it's wonderful when you have four generations that are alive together. We did that in my family. It was pretty special. Yeah, it is. And so I, uh, um, I'm also a breast cancer uh, survivor, although, as I mentioned to you, I kind of feel a bit like a cheater because they caught it at a very early stage. Uh, I had not had a mammogram for 17 years. Who needs that? It hurts. Helen. I know, I know. But here's the interesting thing. I went in and the doctor said, you know, you really ought to do one. And I had taken my birthday off work, which is like four days away. And I figured, well, there'll be no appointments available. So I'll do it. Right. Well, of course, they had an appointment on my birthday. And I went in and it was four o'clock in the afternoon, I remember, and went through that wonderful process. And um, 
I was just getting ready to leave, and the uh, radiologist came out and said, could, or the assistant, could you wait for a minute? Okay. The radiologist would like to talk to you. Like, okay. And this very intense, concerned young man came out and said, it looks like you might have DCIS. I said, what's that? What's that? Exactly. Uh, breast cancer? Yes. Very early stage. Okay. Fine. And I left. Just walked out the door. <laughs> and then I got to my car and I thought, what the heck is DCIS? And I went back to the receptionist and said, excuse me, can you have someone tell me, or can you tell me what it is? And then I got the big words, ductal carcinoma in situ, mm-hmm. which, as you know, is uh, the cancer is still in the mammary glands, hasn't gone anywhere, hasn't uh, exploded through the body. And uh, in fact, may never. I didn't know that at the time. But in fact, it's uh, very encapsulated. Apparently, my mammogram lit up like a Christmas tree. And when you said the 13 years and yelled at me, it's kind of funny because he said, you know, we wouldn't have seen this six months ago. And if you would waited another six months, it might have been too late. Well, that's why you need to be proactive every year because you never know when it's going to happen. I just talked to my sister about this, who I'm listeners. If you're watching, you can tell I'm not in my home studio. I'm recording from Houston because I'm with my sister and we were just talking about that. And she had one a few years ago, but she's not 40 yet. But since we do have the family history of me having it twice, I said, you need to be proactive. Like I will let you slide with a lot of things, but mammograms are not one of them. That's really funny because um, I always used to joke to my daughter that I must have caught it from her. <laughs> Which is funny, not funny. <laughs> funny, not funny, because no one in the family had had it. Well, I have a second cousin who had it, but they don't count. Second cousin. Right. So, mm-hmm. right? I didn't think so. <laughs> and she passed away from it uh, in Australia. But, um, the you know, they said, well, we can do this just with surgery. I didn't have to have chemo and I didn't have to have radiation, which is kind of why I feel like a cheater because I watched my daughter go through that not just once but three times. Mm. She started out in her 20s, I think she was 20, with um, uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, gosh. It's a young person's disease, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's 100% curable as long as you go through the chemotherapy. I remember she, on her 21st birthday, she went into a – a liquor store or somewhere and I don't drink. So I don't know where it was. And she bought a beer and handed it to the guy next to her and said, I can't drink this. I'm on chemo. (laughs) (laughs) But she wanted to buy it. She wanted to buy it because she was 21. (laughs) Uh, But she did go through that. And then, um, and and again, chemo was all that was needed for that. Well, 15 years later, she developed breast cancer. And it turns out as I spoke to my own oncologist on a follow-up, that's quite common. I know of two other young women who've been through breast friends that had um, lymphoma, Hodgkin's lymphoma when they were younger and then developed breast cancer. And she said 15, she said to me, was it 15 years ago? I said, yes. She said, that is classic. Develop breast cancer. So if you've had Hodgkin's lymphoma and you've got it cured and you think you're free and clear, maybe not. Just a, just a thought. Hopefully, hopefully yes. So I had the surgery and I had um, immediate implants at the same time. And I think it's funny because one of my doctors was five foot eight and the other was six foot three. And I was wondering if they had to have the table tipped. To- <laughs> <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, my implant wound didn't heal. It opened up and they had to remove the implant. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of years later, I had the other one removed. And then finally, I said, let's just I asked about DCIS and they said, yeah, I'm not DCIS, deep flap. Mm-hmm. I, I said, Can we use my baby belly for this? And they said, well, sure. But you have to go to Portland. That is an intense surgery. 
but yes. I do love the re- I do love the results. And my husband and I both love the results and um, much better than the implant in terms of aesthetics. And so um, that was all good, although I'm still having trouble healing. So, mm, uh, so just sorry. a little spot that doesn't, just a little tiny spot that doesn't want to heal. And so uh, we're working through that. So uh, let me see. What else do we miss about my life? Uh, anything exciting? Well, oh, well since, my youngest son, too. Since, since you mentioned it, um, how long yeah. after your daughter was diagnosed the third time did she go through treatment and then pass? Okay. Uh, she was uh, my son. My, we should talk about George. George mm-hmm. died in 2010 from an astrocytoma. The went okay. geoblastoma, so brain brain cancer. Again, mm-hmm. unrelated, no genetic. We don't know. He had migraines in high school, and one day we went to a doctor for a prescription renewal, and he told him about his what he called his hallucinations, which was mm-hmm. uh, intense um, deja vu that made him then nauseous, which he you know figured was migraines. Mm-hmm. And this particular doctor said that's a little concerning, and he had us into when the doctor makes the appointment with the specialist. That's when you know there's something to be worried yeah. about. For the next day, yeah. And uh, we went in and got the results, I think, three days later, and uh, he showed us the scan, and there was a six-centimeter tumor mm. in his uh, little hemisphere of his brain, and he had um, exploratory surgery and so on and so forth. And eventually, five years later, he did pass away from that. And that was when my daughter, who had had the uh, limp, the uh, Hodgkins, decided that she would have a child. She said, you know, I wasn't going to have kids because of the cancer, and I thought, Shoot, nothing's guaranteed. Exactly. So she had Violet. Mm-hmm. And we took Violet to Salt Lake to visit her dad. He lived down there when she was three months old. And on the trip, Larissa said, Mom, I have this little lump on my breast. Do you think it's anything? And she let me feel it. And it just felt like a little tiny. And I said, well, it could be anything. I mean, I have those kind of lumps all the time. And they were all never any problems uh, at the time anyway. But she said, we did the trip. She came back and it was stage three. Mm. And that was so Violet was three months old. She died when Violet was six. It metastasized. I want to say she went through all the treatments, Mm -hmm. just finished her final reconstruction, was just starting to get back on her feet. And then she called me and said, Mom, I can't breathe. And I said, Oh, it's probably anxiety, just so much stress because she was going through a divorce and all those kinds of things. And I said, I'm sure it's just don't worry about it. But then, um, she called me later on from the hospital and she had collapsed and her uh, lungs were surrounded with fluid and mm. she had cancer in her lungs, her spine, her skull and her liver. Mm. And um, every time we take her in for, they do CAT scans, you know, when we take her into the emergency room, I don't know how many times either the doctor or the technician would turn to me and say, is she on hospice? It was that bad. There were just dozens of tumors. So then, yeah, she was 42 when she died. Okay. Uh, Violet was six. And, that and was I don't think we've said your daughter's name. Her name was Larissa. Oh, her name is Larissa. Larissa. Yes. And uh, there's, a, there's a link in, I'm hoping we can put a link in the notes to a video she recorded when she was diagnosed with cancer the second time with breast cancer. Um, she chose to shave her head right away because when she had the Hodgkins, it just fell out in clumps in the shower. Mm-hmm. She said, I'm not doing that again. We're getting rid of it now. And uh, I just watched the video. I watched about half of it before we started. And wow, she such a wonderful attitude. And she looks so much like you. She's beautiful. <laughs> she, must, she actually is the spitting image of my mother who with whom she fought tooth and nail while she was alive. My mother was very British. 
mm-hmm. very firm, very kind. But uh, my daughter was very, well, spunky, yes. shall we mm-hmm. say. And the two of them rubbed up because they were alike. Yes. And then I pulled out a picture of my mother in high school, and you would not have been able to tell the difference. So now, was, how how far apart did George and Larissa pass? George died in 2010, and Larissa died in 2018. Okay, so there was that time period, which I'm sure after George, it's it's unimaginable as as a parent myself, and then it happens again. And exactly, uh, what, it was. A, what did that do to your life and your emotions at that time after you had lost two children? Um, I do remember going through a time thinking everything in my life is just loss. Loss after loss after loss. And then, of course, I had to regroup and realize that um, I had three other children. I have a husband. I have an ex-husband. I have grandchildren. Grand- yeah. They're all affected by this. And I came and as I watched them all, I realized that not one of them feels exactly the same about this process, that their grief is completely different. Mine, yours, Larissa's sister, her two brothers, remaining brothers, the father, stepfather. It's the same person, but the grief is very different. And that's when I started to look at grief as a as a process that needed inspection. I guess it's the right was kind of the word, but we needed. Well, to look it needed at it. attention, and yes, yes. and it, attention inspection because, like you said, it is different for everyone. But and not not to discredit fathers out there, but I well, do feel like it is different for mothers. It is, it is, um, and, and I, I need to tell you that after George died, came back to uh, from Salt Lake, came back to uh, Central Oregon, and was at my. Uh, nieces, my husband's nephew's high school graduation. And uh, George and Olivia had lived with me the la- a couple of years of high school for her. She did high school here, and he was with us for a couple of years in Central Oregon. So he knew the school. He'd been there. And as these children came down, sorry, these young people <laughs> came off the stage and went to their mothers and handed them a rose, I just lost it. it this was like three weeks after he died. Oh, and my brother-in-law was visiting from Idaho to come to the graduation, and he came up to me, and I knew he'd done some uh, psychology work. He had worked as becoming, he was thinking of becoming a military chaplain. And he just said, I just heard about George. I am so sorry. He was such an amazing young man. He was so funny and so on and so forth. He brought up a couple of memories. And I said, I'll never forget this. I said, um, I know I'm not the only mother to have lost a child but I feel like it. And he said to me, you are the only mother in the world who lost George. And it was like, I'm allowed to mourn my son for being my son. Not saying, well, everybody goes through this. It happens to everyone, which is what we do with grief. We stuff it away and say, well, that's just life. And then when it happened again, you're right. People go, whoa, one, twice. But shortly after Larissa died, I just saw a, a brief article on some sweet woman in Africa and all 10 of her children had died. <gasps> oh, my so gosh. Sometimes you can say, well, I'm not the worst off, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't it matter. matter. Your your grief of losing your children is your exactly. grief. It's your and, grief. Yeah. 
And so many people don't know how to process it now. So I imagine George, you, you had the, you know, you're, you're processing that and dealing with it because you still have four other adult children, your husband, your grandchildren, and then Larissa. And she was obviously metastatic. You knew it was going to happen. And, you know, same with George, but that doesn't make it any easier. How did you move from this point to deciding I want to create this program and this organization to help other mothers and other parents who've gone through this loss? Um, after I went to, to a counselor both times after George died and then after Larissa died, just to make sure that my head was on straight. And it wasn't after Larissa. I went into a therapist and um, he had my company paid for five free sessions. And so I went to him and he said, why, you know, why are you here? And of course I told him and I said, I need to stop hurting. And he looked at me and said, why? I said, what do you mean? Why? I don't want to hurt. And he said to me again, something I'll never forget. What kind of mother would not want to hurt when her daughter died? You need to go home and learn how to hurt. And I thought he was crazy. For one thing, I'm British. We don't do feelings. It's just (laughs) not okay. And it took four sessions to get through my rather stubborn skull that I needed to allow myself to feel the pain. And I didn't understand why. But a few months later, a friend of mine introduced me to life coaching, which is a buzzword. It's the thing. Everyone's doing it. But as I listened to what she was learning, I realized that everything I had learned from Wayne Dyer back in the 80s through to the day of all the positive attitude people was that you can actually build a life around helping people process their feelings. You know, think and grow rich. In the Bible, it says, as a man thinketh, so is he. The the process, the, not the process, the, the role of thoughts in how we process our feelings is amazing information that I didn't have before. And uh, I'm in my 70s now, and I finally realized that um, when we think about something, it creates a sensation that goes through our body that makes us feel a certain way. You know, and the classic example is if, if a tiger jumps out at you, your brain immediately sends adrenaline through your body and you have strength you didn't have before. It's the same principle with every thought we have creates an electrical or chemical impulse and we act on it. And I wanted to teach people that. I wanted to teach them that you don't have to be ashamed. Like I wasn't ashamed to grieve, but I kind of felt like maybe I was having a pity party. You know, there is no such thing as a pity party when your child dies or someone that you love dies. There just isn't. You have to allow yourself the privilege of using this amazing organ in our skull to come to terms with that pain. And that's what I want to help people do. Did that? That, Yes, that is, that is, no, that is a very great answer. But Helen, we are going to take a quick break, then we will going to dig more into grief relief support when we get back. So listeners, please stay with us. If you would like to help Breast Friends on its mission to support those going through cancer, you can donate on our website or text BF radio to 41444. And please go to our website, breastfriends.org under patient programs if you or a loved one needs our services. So stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. 
We rely on donations to continue our mission that no one goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck. My guest is Helen Condon, and we are talking about how to process grief. So, Helen, before break, we talked about why you decided to found grief relief support. Do you have a, a mission or a vision of what you want to do with your program? I do. And you quoted it earlier in your introduction, and that is to turn, I guess, a mission statement is to change the burden of grief into a light we can carry. You don't have to have your shoulders down. You don't have to have your eyes down. You don't have to have quiet tears in the bathroom. You can incorporate this amazing gift into your life because and i call it a gift because people say well who wants grief well i kind of feel like yoda in star wars when uh uh luke was saying that he would um he wouldn't be afraid and yoda said oh you will be it's the same with grief oh i haven't really lost anyone i haven't had grief yet it is a part of the human experience. And we can either consider it something to be avoided or something to be celebrated as part of who we are as human beings. When I was working on the, the things I wanted to discuss with you about, I, I really tried to put some deep thought into it. I'm very fortunate. I, I've lost grandparents and great-grandparents, and I did lose a younger brother when I was a, a teen. Um, but as an adult, I've, I've been very lucky. My, my husband and I, between us, we have eight parents and they're all still alive and I'm 51 and I'm incredibly fortunate, but the way I look at it, when you grieve someone, that means you truly loved them. You, you miss the loss of them in your life and the, the fact that they're not here living that life with you. And so I really feel like it's a privilege because you know, you've loved so deeply those people that you've lost. Exactly. When I was at the breast events uh, event, la breast friends event last weekend, I, I had made up a few refrigerator magnets. They were, the, you know, I couldn't be at my station because I was volunteering. Mm -hmm. But the thing that got taken to, to down to the last one was a little magnet I made up that said, "A grieving heart is a loving heart." Oh, I'm gonna have to get one of those. I'm gonna send you an envelope. You can send it back to I me. I'm gonna make up some more then, huh? <laughs> and it's true because um, if you don't love. You don't lose. And there are people who choose not to, you know, or there may be those with uh, psychological issues that don't grieve for those and, that they've lost. 
And there are those that choose to to not experience the, the wonderful joys of love and connection so they don't have to lose. Yeah. But then there's the, those of us who do experience it. And some people just don't want to talk about it. Why? Why do you think it's such a, a taboo subject almost? Part of it is societal. Um, it used to be that death was in the home. It was part of the family experience. Um, I remember reading a book about a woman who said that her mother was laid out in the living room and she tended to her body every day. And um, this sounds a little gross, but she literally carried out the buckets that underneath, yes. mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, but but it was normal. People died at home. And then uh, bless the mortuary business. It's an amazing business, but they take that body away. You never see it again. My son was taken to the morgue from his hospital bed. We didn't see him again until he was all prettied and painted up in a casket. Um, and we don't, we don't deal with it. And then, in fact, some psychologists have said that that's part of the reason for the uh, the young people of the last few generations um, getting obsessed with death and death metal and death. Uh, emblems and so on and so forth because they're missing that there are whole cultures like yesterday i think it was yesterday was it was the day of the dead in mexico where they celebrate Mm -hmm. their dead um in the polynesian islands when someone died everyone in the village grieved um they some of them mutilated themselves but it was part of the process of recognizing that someone important had left western society doesn't do that we're like oh can't talk about it it's too sad we don't like pain at all. You know, if, if you can't fix it with a remote control, it's not worth dealing with. Them. Well, like I you said, you're very British and you don't do emotions. And no. in, in the U.S., we do emotions, but only happy emotions. Right. Right. Because everything has to be sparkly and pretty. And that's not the way life works. No. Um, Brooke Castillo, who's a great uh, life coach teacher, teaches us that life is 50-50. And you need to expect that, that half of your life is good and half of your life is bad. And it also goes to personal self-esteem. As a mother, half the time you're great, and half the time you suck at it. 100%. You've been a mother more than five minutes, you're going to agree with that, right? But we punish ourselves for that. Well, I should never do it wrong. And I think part of the reason that grief is not talked about, it's so hard to talk about, it's very personal, it's internal. I can't tell how you feel at the loss of your brother, I can't tell how Olivia feels at the loss of her sister. I just know they hurt. And so um, I have a friend whose grandson was uh, had a traumatic brain injury a couple of years ago. He's now eight. He was six at the time. Mm. And I talked to her about, you know, how are you doing with the grief? She said, oh, I, and she said, I don't look at it. I can't. I have to take care of things. I, I just can't go there. She won't allow herself to go there afraid I think that she won't come back and that's what I was afraid of when that's when that uh, psychologist said you know you need to go home and hurt well if I hurt I'll never stop the truth is if you let yourself really feel the hurt it actually goes away faster it'll come back but not as bad well I was going to ask you that do you feel like grief ever goes away (sighs) the first answer is no but the second answer is yes, of course it does, because for moments, for times, you you get, you know, other things come up. There are the other 50-50, the other 50%. Um, but it will cycle around. And the best analogy that I've heard, the vision, I'm a visual person, is if you think of a box with a big red button in it, some of your listeners will have heard of this analogy. And the, when you first, 
your grief first happens, it's this huge basketball and it's in this little box with a red button. And every time the ball moves, bam, it hits the button and the pain shoots through you. Well, over time, the ball deflates as other things in life come. It's not that the grief gets smaller, but the rest of life starts to take over. And and, and in comparison, I guess you could say the box grows bigger, if you like. Mm -hmm. And so then you don't hit that red button as often. But 25, 50, 60 years down the road, when your brain hits that pain button, it's like the very first day. And people say to me, I don't understand. This was so long ago, and I'm hurting today. It's a birthday or something. As bad as I did the day she died. That's the way the brain works. That's the way grief is. We shelve it with life, but it's always there. Now, in your program, Grief Relief Support, you list a four-step process. Can you tell me what those four steps are, and then we'll come back and dig into them individually? You think I have them memorized, don't you? Well, I have them here. (laughs) I have them right here. Okay. I have them right here. I wanted to put a a linear process so because – you know, as people come to me with grief, they're all at different spots. A friend called me the other night. Her son's just been diagnosed with lymphoma. Uh, a couple of months ago, a friend called me because her, her youngest son had just died in a, a drowning accident. Mm. Everyone's at a different spot and at a different place in the process because we're all individuals. But I did try to at least sort it so that we have a direction to go. And the first thing to do is you have to learn how to deal with the loss. You have to understand how to accept it. And then the second process, you have to learn how to process that, that pain, as we talked about earlier. And then we like to look at the new reality and find a way to incorporate that grief in our new change to life. And then finally, we need to consider some sort of ongoing care for ourselves because, girls, you take care of everybody else before you take care of yourself. I know I do. I do um, as well. And so that's, yeah, yeah. And so that's the, 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 the kind of, the final end of it. And then you'll end up back in denial. <laughs> you know, George, <laughs> George died 10, 12 years ago now. And um, sometimes I just refuse to admit he's gone. I said, like, wait a minute. <laughs> Haven't you got past that stage yet? And the answer is no, it's not really. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross put it as a five stage process, but it's really a five stage cycle. And you can actually jump in and out of any one of the five stages anytime you like. So. Now, so we, you mentioned the first one is how to come to deal, come to terms with the loss mm-hmm. and accept that. How, how do you, how do you do that? Well, let me see. It, it's um, the first thing you do is you have to, there are two books I'm going to recommend everybody purchase. I should put it on my website, but only if they give me a royalty. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on death and dying. And, uh, and then, Byron Katie, Loving What Is. And I recommend the audiobook, particularly for Loving What Is, because it's she and actors reading back the scripts of people she's actually counseled with. And Loving What Is is about the fact that um, people say it shouldn't have happened. Well, you know, you've heard the shoulda, woulda, coulda. It did. And the fact is, it happened. And it was meant to happen. That's the hard part. Mm-hmm. But you have to say that because it's it's getting in touch with the reality. Your daughter died because she was meant to die. How do you know? Because she's gone. That process is a tough one, but it's the process that gets you to where you can say, 
okay, this did happen. I can't deny it any longer. How do I move forward? But until you've accepted that it happened, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, intellectually that it's happened, but until you, in your deepest being, understand that that event has happened, you can't really move forward in the process. Now, this is not to say that the person's gone forever. I mean, whether you're a theist or an atheist, the fact that you have memories of the person, the fact that you have reminders of the person. My son was six foot five and 300 pounds. Whenever I see a blonde haired, curly kid of that size and stature, I'm, it's like George just walked in the room. And those things keep us connected to them. And whether you think that there's another life and they're in another place or whether you think they're, they're gone forever, you, you have them with you and you carry them. So uh, denying that they're gone, which is the first stage of, uh, of grief, is it has to be passed through. So, so once you pass, that. once you pass through that stage and you come to acceptance, you're like, okay, I, I understand they're gone. They're not coming back. Yes. How do you process the physical and emotional pain that has encompassed you at that point? And that's, that's what I learned from life coaching and it's so critical. And, and from that wonderful counselor and also from my brother-in-law, when he said, you don't, you're the one who's only lost George. Take any feeling. Um, you can think of any event. Uh, it could be a happy one if you want to, because that's easier to do. Um, imagine just to remember how you feel in your body when that happens. Thoughts happen in the brain. There's a mind and a brain. The thought comes into the brain, and somehow that brain, like we talked about the adrenaline, knows what to do to, to present the feelings that we have in our body. That's why they're called feelings. We literally physically feel them. Unless there's a neurological break, and that would be a, some kind of mental incapacity, uh, you might feel it in your chest. It might be a tightness. It could be a lightness if it's a happy event. For me, when I think about my sadness or fear, it goes all the way down to my gut, and I can feel the nerve endings around my gut grabbing onto it, and it actually feels like a dark cloud in my body. And I know this sounds really woo-woo, but if you learn to look at the physical manifestations of your feelings, as they get out of your brain and into your body, you will start to process that feeling. And that's why I say when you look at pain, like grief, and you watch it, we're the only creature on the planet that can do this, by the way. Deer don't watch their fear. They just run. But we can actually use a part of our brain to look at another part of our brain and see what it's doing. That is a, a specifically human trait. And then we can see it follow. And as soon as the pain leaves the pain leaves the brain, there you go, I made a rhyme. As soon as the pain leaves the brain and follows into the body, if you go with it, then it will start to dissipate. It will start to lighten. It will dissolve away. It will come back. But now you know what to do and it won't be as painful. And, as, and that's how we learn to process. And it catches us by surprise, all of us, you know, you bang, you slam your finger in a door and you never swear in your life. You're going to swear that day. You know, things come back to us because we're human. Love yourself for being a human. Understand that pain is part of the experience. It's what makes the experience so wonderful because without pain, we can't really understand joy. It is definitely the yin and the yang of life. It you have you cannot it balances it out. You cannot have one without the other. 
Correct. You can't have grief without love. You can't have pain without joy. You can't have sorrow without happiness. And um, it's just that that's how we do it. We physically learn. And, and, and you need to be talked through it because, yes, we can watch our own brain, but sometimes we need someone else to say, did you see that thought there? Because the thoughts come and go so fast, you know, that we don't always catch them. Did you hear what you just said about that? And then it helps to have someone to, like a guide, like a yoga. You know, if, you, if mm-hmm. you're going to do yoga, a yogi will help you through that process. So that is part, I would say that's part of creating your new reality after the acceptance, figuring out how to process the pain, you have to figure out how to live your life going forward in new ways without that person. Exactly. And you have to find ways to care. And then the final stage is to find ways to care for yourself through that process. But you're finding light in the reality is the, um, it does no good to spend your life in anger and pain supposing the death was the well i could be angry at cancer like that's going to help right um the truth about anger is the only person it hurts is the person feeling it i remember one time a woman walked up to me and, and it was actually in church and she said i just wanted to let you know i was finally able to let go of the feelings i had about something you said that upset me okay okay <laughs> really i had no idea she had been stewing for like two years <laughs> I had no idea. So that was an anger. Hmm. Yeah, you're the only one feeling that, trust me. Um, we can't feel another person's feelings. We can only feel our own. And we should allow ourselves the privilege of doing that. So, And in the final step, you talk about creating self-care for yourself going forward personally, uh, physically and emotionally. What do you recommend for those steps? Uh, visiting... Uh, visiting the issue in a healthy way. For instance, I've chosen to do coaching to help people through it. That's my mm-hmm. way. It may not be everybody else's, although there could be a million grief coaches on the market next week. But um, physical health, you know, again, we go back to that. We take care of ourselves last. I remember when George died, we went, we had actually all gone for a meal while they cleaned him up and they called us and said, come back. And he had chosen to wait till we'd all left the room and then passed away. And when we came back into the room, I remember being the mom. Come on, everybody. He's still warm. Touch him. Love him. Take, feel the pain and so forth. And, and, and I was all bright and cheery. And then they all left and I sat down beside him and I just bawled, just mm-hmm. lost it. But I had to wait till everybody else was taken care of. We need to learn that our physical and emotional health is not just our right, it's our responsibility. We can't help anyone else if we don't help ourselves. If we're lost in the pain and the sorrow, and if we refuse to eat, or if we eat bad things, um, if we, you know, that saying, eat your feelings, (laughs) if we don't take care of our physical health, then we're no good to ourselves, and we're no good to anyone else. And the grief will just get worse. But if we're healthy and strong and have those endorphins of physical strength going, um, it really does help with the process. Perfect. Well, we do need to take another quick break. Listeners, okay. if you would like to be my guest or share your warrior story, please email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back in a minute. Younger women with breast cancer face unique challenges that their older counterparts do not. 
The I Rise Above Foundation provides young women with targeted, age-appropriate, and integrated health and wellness resources, along with tools that enable them to rise above the residual effects of breast cancer so they can heal and live well. iRise connects young women with breast cancer to a community of like-minded thrivers with the same goals. Go to iriseabovefoundation.org for more information. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck. My guest is Helen Condon, and we are talking about processing grief and her organization, Grief Relief Support. So Helen, when you created this program to help and coach others through this process and these four steps, what else is, how is your program structured if someone is interested in becoming a client of yours? What what kind of a community do they have? What are the things that you have out there for them? Thank you for that. Um, I am just starting this up as a as a business. It's a low cost business, but it's the way I want to spend the rest of my life. But for three years, I've been offering advice in terms of blog posts, which you have access to. Um, I have a Patreon page, which has all my weekly thoughts on grief over the last three years, and we'll keep going. Um, but the program that I'm wanting to set up is meeting together in groups on Zoom, Bless Zoom's heart. Up you know, that 20- is literally one good thing that has come out of the pandemic yes, is the totally. availability of virtual offerings. Would that be part of the 50-50, do you think? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Some, some good, some bad. <laughs> um, to meet together in, on Zoom, uh, I, I recommend groups of no more than 25. I would do it smaller, but to be honest, for efficiency, not it's not just an efficiency thing, but... Um, Staying alone with grief is what I'm trying to get people away from. Yes, they could certainly contact me and have a one-on-one little free 15-minute chat to see if this program suits them. That's fine. But the object is to get you into a group of like-minded people to hear a lecture from the Queen, Helen, (coughs) and and talk back and forth about our experiences that week because this week is not last week and it's not next week. And so that's a program, and I and we just gradually go through those four stages. Maybe it'll be linear. Maybe it'll all get me- mixed up. It just depends on where everyone's at. And then we'll meet and we'll talk. And uh, you can come week, uh, you know, sign up monthly or six months. I recommend about a six month program. Um, and then we can just work through all the feelings, all the things, get to know each other. And at the end of it, you have twenty five close friends. Mm-hmm. If you can't find anywhere else, if you're in the middle of the farmland in Iowa and you don't have a group, I also, um, there are also local facilities. We have a wonderful place here in Bend where I live that the Hanai Center where you can rent a room and meet in person. Um, I would like to get to a stage where everyone who's in my program can come to a free event. It'll be in the Pacific Northwest to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, the place where we had my daughter's celebration of life in uh, near um, Richfield, Washington is a wonderful uh, facility where we can meet but then breast friends has their own meetings and their groups there is if it's a breast cancer related mm-hmm. you can meet with um, breast friends and they have wonderful th- and you know the power of meeting together like last saturday when we all lit those little candles it was yes. just amazing experience um, so there will be live events in the future 
but we start out with those groups and sure. you can talk to me individually first or just jump into the group. It's entirely up to. And I have definitely found, I do feel like a lot of women who go through cancer, they suffer the grief because it's a different kind of grief, but they're suffering potentially the loss of their breasts or their other body parts or their old life. And, but I always talk about how sharing trauma can lessen the trauma because realizing that you're not the only one that is going through this. Yes, you are the only mom who lost George and Larissa, but you can connect and coach with other parents who've lost their own children because they are similar experiences. And I have definitely found that sharing those over time, it helps. It does. The truth about uh, thought work coaching is it's all the same work. I mean, you could come to me with um, a child who's gone on drugs or you can come to me with a bad marriage or you can come to me with all kinds of things. But the the difference with grief I have found is people don't necessarily want to talk to you unless you have been there too. Mm-hmm. So when I tell people, I, I remember one time I got a call at work. I was at a call center and I was trying to get this guy's phone working. He wanted to set up a phone line for a charity in name of his son who had cancer. And it wasn't working. We couldn't get the phones to work. It was just, you know, one of those things. And he just burst out and said, you have no idea what it's like to have a child with cancer. And I just only said, actually, sir, I have two. They were both alive at that time. Mm -hmm. And immediately it drained the energy from his anger. Yes. So that's the reason I'm doing this is because I'm not qualified but I am. Does that make sense? Oh, I think you are 100% qualified because you've, you've been through it more than once and you've taken the time and learning about the coaching and you realize, I mean, that's how all good coaches start. They take their knowledge in whatever it is and they know they can give back to others and help them process as well, whether it's in sports or grief or or just life coaching in general, you, you are 100% qualified to do this. Well, thank you for that. I do consider myself a teacher. I did go to teacher's college. I actually was a teacher in Australia. I came to the States. I had to do office work because I wasn't going to go back to school with two little kids and start out all over. But um, there's that movie, The Man with a Out of Face, where yes. the actor's name is. he's not allowed to teach, and you can see it just drains his heart. And I knew exactly how that felt. Um, My parents were both teachers, and my mother used to joke and say, there are some teachers who should never be hired and some who should never be fired. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm more than willing to share that knowledge. And I expect to be taught as well. Don't get me wrong. In this process, I'm also processing my own grief um, because that's going to be with me forever. And, and, and it comes in waves. It does. It comes and goes. And every time that ball hits that red button, whether it's a birthday or um, my, I have a grandmother who passed from breast cancer at this point, gosh, in 2008. So I can't even do the math. Um, <laughs> and she used to wear a perfume by Clinique. And I will occasionally walk by someone who smells right. like that. And it brings it all back. And yeah. They're just, and it, it really hits me that like, wow, there's certain things that are so powerful and can just bring that loss right back up to the forefront. The brain never loses anything. You might not know where to find it. (laughs) That's exactly my brain right now. I don't know where to find half the things that are there. I I always joke that I have the, uh, the faces on one side of my brain and the names on the other. And if we're lucky, (laughs) they'll connect, but it's all there. 
Now, what do you say, say you get a, a new client and they, they are wanting assistance with processing grief. What is the first thing that you, you tell them just like right away? Right away, I say, hurt. Let's do some hurt. When my friend called and said her son had drowned and she said, how do you do this? I don't understand. I can't handle this. And I said, right now, your job is to hurt. And don't try to avoid it. Don't run away from it. It's not, you know, at that point in time, saying it's a privilege probably wouldn't go down very well. But it's the truth is the same thing that counselor said. Your first job is to hurt. Your second job is to reach out for someone to help you do that. And that's why I'm here. And on the converse side, because many people don't know what to say when when one of their friends or loved ones loses someone else. What do you not say to someone who has just experienced this kind of loss and the grief has set in? Please don't say, don't worry, you'll get over it. Please don't say, um, it's been two weeks, you're still crying or two months or 25 years. I mean, women, I've had people say, you know, my husband died 25 years ago and I woke up crying. I'm like, what, you're still crying? Yes. Please don't say don't. And, and the other thing that you do, I did actually want to write this because I didn't want to lose them if I could find it. Probably not. Um, but definitely you can say uh, nothing. You can say, can I give you a hug? When I came back from George's funeral, we stopped off in Burns, which is in the middle of Oregon, if you don't know where it is, and stopped off to visit my uh, then daughter-in-law's family to have a break in the journey. And her mother, who I'd met at the wedding, that was it, came up to me and just hugged me. That's all. She didn't say a word. When I came back from Larissa's death, I had been working remotely in Vancouver in her apartment. My company had let me do that while we took care of her. And one of my coworkers came to me and said, do you want to talk about it or not? That is priceless because I was able to say, oh, I have found it helps to talk about it. Thank you. And just talked a few minutes and then went to my desk. But if I didn't want to talk about it, I could say, not right now. Mm -hmm. Ask and then find out. I uh, I have a, a, a very dear friend who lost a child mm -hmm. almost at, at birth, pre-birth. Um, right. And it's been seven months. And one of the biggest things she says is always just say her name. Don't Don't not talk about her. Right. Because that's right. the worst. I, I mean, she has said that's the worst thing that people can do is don't ignore it. Don't try to like, oh, don't try to make her feel bad because she lost something. Well, no, I think she has said how much it is important for her to be able to talk and to be able to say the baby's name. And that's why I had made sure earlier when you were talking about your daughter and I said, well, let's say her name okay. because- right. yeah. It's so important because just because they're not here now, they were here and they were important. And I can't take away your grief or the loss, but I can acknowledge how important they were in your life. I started one of the uh, free uh, benefits I started and you can get to it on my website is a free uh, support group on Facebook. And these started with her friends. I said, who would like to join this group? And it's a private group. So you have to ask to join because mm -hmm. one of them said, don't make it public. I don't want my sure. grief to be public, but that, and that's fine because it's all written and of course it's kept forever in the data, the data world. But just to have a group and we actually have a Facebook group, friends of Larissa, Violet's friends. Violet is her daughter 
and we'll post funny memories, things like that. Like someone will say she loved cats. She had 16 of them. No, she had three, but, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, funny cat pictures. Uh, Or sometimes a video will come up in memory, like that one with the head shave, and and people will want to share it. So um, those little things are priceless and precious. Keep mementos um, for as long as you need to. Last week, my granddaughter, Violet, turned 11. Hard to believe. That girl's almost going to be a teenager. And I took her the teddy bear her mommy gave me. Mm. Her mom said, you should have a teddy bear to cuddle at night. I said, I got a husband. She said, no, you need a teddy bear. (laughs) And I kept it on my dresser for four years. Mm -hmm. Four years? Yes. And then suddenly I said, it's time to give this to Violet. Um, I have her furniture in my shed. I may use it one day or one day I might give it up, but I'm not ready to yet. Mm-hmm. And so those things are important. And and it's, it's not maudlin. It's not uh, foolish. It's, um, it's, it's acknowledging that you have pain that you need to deal with. And it takes I time. Was, I was cleaning out a cabinet the other day looking for something, and I found a, a little round ceramic disc that I had made with my brother's name on it and his birth date. And I... I was, and I made it when I was 12 years old and mm-hmm. I've obviously, I'm never going to get rid of it because it's a reminder of him. He was only two and a half when he passed. Um, but it's, those things are so important to have those reminders, not that you need reminders, but just physical things sometimes are very important because it just, it connects you once again. Exactly. It does. And I have a necklace with a little bit of the Larissa's ashes in that I sometimes wear. I wore it to the mm-hmm. event on Saturday. Um, I have jewelry that she made. She was amazing jewelry. She did the wrapped wire wrapped jewelry. And uh, I still have some of her early pieces and and they're starting to fall apart because she wasn't as good at, (laughs) I'll never get rid of them because, and, and and her daughter, her fiance has a a, a bunch of them. that he's going to give to Violet when she's older uh, as a memory. And that's another point. Helping children through grief is critical. Um, Larissa, when Larissa died, she was divorced and her husband is on disability. He's a wonderful man, but he didn't really have the the ability, the facilities to take care of a young girl. And Larissa had already arranged for her best friend to have custody. And so she's with a wonderful family. She has a sister who's five months older. So for for like five months, they're not the same age, which is really Mm -hmm. annoying. Uh, And that she lives there. but, But her mom, Sarah, will take her and she went through grief therapy with her. And they taught her to say, when she feels the grief as it comes, sit her down with a little candle and a picture and let her think of her mom. Don't say, let's not think about that. It's sad. Mm -hmm. Do the same thing we're talking about here. Let her be sad. She's come to the age now where, where loss is permanent. Until they're about age 11, children don't know permanence. They don't get that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, there'll be a reminder that says, my mommy's really gone forever and we'll be there if she needs it or not if she doesn't. But to avoid the subject, to cut it out of her life is absolutely the worst thing to do. Oh, that's uh, very powerful. And gosh, unfortunately, Helen, we're out of time. So my final question is, where can people find out your information on social media and your website and how to join your private Facebook group? 
Okay. The uh, website is www. You need that. Griefrelief.support.com was gone. Sorry. But actually, dot .support is more appropriate. Because it works out better. I had no idea yeah. that it actually existed. I didn't either until I went and got a griefrelief.support because I'm there not just to help you relieve it, but to support you as you go through it. Uh, on there, there are links to my Patreon page, and I think you have them on your side as well. There's also a link to the free Facebook group on my homepage. There's an explanation of the program I have. Um, I'm learning website building, so forgive me if things don't work as they should. You can always email griefrelief at yahoo.com. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here today. This has been a wonderful discussion for me and I hope for listeners out there because as you know, people don't talk about grief enough and it is super important. So thank you again for being here today. You're welcome. Thank you so much. So, And listeners, once again, griefrelief.support and all the information is there. And please go check it out because I, I know Helen personally and um, she is definitely super happy to add her into my circle. So if you or loved one need our services, please go to breastfriends.org. You can check out patient programs to see what we can do for you. You can donate on our website or by texting BF radio to 41444. You can find our show, the show, I can't even talk some days on the voice America health and wellness channel or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also watch the videos on the breast friends YouTube channel. So we will be back next week. And until then, remember we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.